Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. As you know by now, we're in a series entitled White Knuckled Faith. The book of Hebrews was written by someone we do not know. We do not know who the author was. But we do know from the contents of the book that the writer of Hebrews was writing to a group of Jewish Christians, predominantly, who were thinking about abandoning their Christian faith, most of them to go back to their old Jewish faith, some of them simply to abandon faith altogether. And for the first nine chapters, he has done everything he could possibly do to argue that to go back is a tragic mistake. In fact, to choose anything other than Jesus, according to this writer, is a tragic mistake. The title of this message is The Era of the Shadow. The Era of the Shadow. Everybody in this room is either living based on the real thing or you're living based on a shadow of the real thing that's not the real thing. So I want you to look with me to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read the first 18 verses. The writer says, The law is only a shadow, there it is, of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says... This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts 
I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and because of your wonderful grace, to pray to you. And Lord, I'm aware, and the folks listening to this message are very much aware that the words I just read are far more important than anything that I will say, because the words that I just read are your words. Lord, I pray that you would take my words and that your Holy Spirit would use them in a way perhaps beyond what I even have intended and touch hearts in this congregation and speak to each of us the message that you, through your Spirit, want each one of us to hear. Lord, may we not loom around in the shadows when we have at our access the real thing. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's always important when you're studying the Bible, especially the New Testament, find out what the main point of that book is. It'll help you understand more correctly the minute details that the writers will bring out. And when it comes to the book of Hebrews, the main point is this, that everything about Jesus is superior to everything about the Old Testament system of law and religion. And beyond that, everything about Jesus is superior to anything that we could substitute in Jesus' place. Jesus is the ultimate. Jesus is everything that we could ever hope for, not only for abundant life now, but but heavenly life after we leave this earthly life. Jesus is ultimate. He is everything. And anything else pales in comparison to Him. The problem is that there are some things that people substitute for Jesus that look a lot like Jesus. There are some things that people substitute for Jesus that feel a lot like Jesus. There are some things people substitute for Jesus that promise some of the same things that Jesus has promised those, those who follow him. And so we're in a bit of a a dilemma because we, human beings, imperfect as we are, are easily fooled by something that is not the truth. It can look like the truth just as a shadow may look like the real thing that cast its shadow, but the shadow is not the real thing. A shadow is empty. A shadow cannot be touched. A shadow cannot be tasted. A shadow cannot be felt. A shadow has no calories. A shadow offers no energy. A shadow offers no voices, has no voice. A shadow cannot get sick. A shadow cannot get well. A shadow is a nothing except for the darkness that is cast by the real thing. And so a lot of people in life today 
are opting for a shadow of the real thing. And although it may look like the real thing, it's not the real thing. The writer of Hebrews is concerned about the people to whom he's writing. They are obsessed with angels and they, uh, they, they love and worship and adore Moses and Joshua and the old covenant and they, they uh, are, are stuck to the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the temple and the priesthood. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than all those. He's superior to angels. He's better than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than the temple, greater than the old covenant. His sacrifice makes the others pale in comparison. There's nothing compared to Jesus. In fact, uh, several times up to this point in this letter, he has called all the Old Testament stuff shadows or copies. For instance, in chapter 8, verse 5, He says that the Old Testament rituals and sacrifices and law are a, quote, a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Chapter 9, verse 23, again, he says these things in the Old Testament are copies of the things in the heavens. In chapter 9, verse 24, he says that the Old Testament covenant is but a mere copy of the true one. Copies and shadows. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, don't rely on a shadow when you can have the real thing. And these people, he says, were tempted to go back and rely on a shadow. Now, let's talk about this idea of a shadow for just a little bit. First of all, let's look at what a shadow can and cannot do. What can a shadow not do? What is it that a shadow cannot do? First of all, it cannot take away your sin. A shadow is powerless to deal with your sin. Jesus Christ and his one-time sacrifice for all is the only, the only sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Nothing else can come close to the sacrifice he made. Anything else is but a shadow, and a shadow cannot deal with your sin. A shadow cannot cleanse you once and for all the way Jesus' sacrifice cleanses you. A shadow cannot replace the real thing. Whenever the children were up here, we had a banana, and I took a flashlight, and if you were able to see it, the flashlight uh, shined on the banana, but it cast a shadow on the floor. And these children are smart. They'd rather have the banana than to have the shadow. They tried to touch the shadow, but they knew that if they really were hungry and wanted to fill, to to quench their hunger, you don't go for the shadow, you go for the banana. And the writer of Hebrews says, look, a shadow cannot wash you of your sins. It cannot cleanse you of your iniquities. It cannot replace the real thing. Now, let me tell you what a shadow can do. If you're standing in the shadow, think about this. When you stand in the shadow, you are obstructed from the light. If the sun is shining on this building, and let's say the sun is shining from my left side onto this building, and you are standing just outside this door on the right side of the building, you are standing in the shadow. 
And the shadow of this building, as long as you are standing in the shadow, you are obstructed from the light. A shadow keeps you from being in the light. And as long as these people were being tempted to go back to their old Jewish religion, or as long as you and I are tempted to give up simple Christian faith for anything that is a substitute for it, then we stand in the shadow and we are obstructed from the light. That's a dangerous thing to be obstructed from the light. The Bible says to walk in the light. Nowhere does Scripture ever tell us to walk in the darkness. Nowhere does Scripture ever tell us to walk in the shadow. The Bible always tells us walk in the light for God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Walk in. In the light. So a shadow can keep you from encountering the light. But there's something more dangerous that a shadow can do. A shadow can lead you to think that you're okay. If you and I opt for a substitute for the real Jesus then we're opting for a shadow of the real Jesus. That's not the real Jesus. And that shadow may look so real to us that we believe we're okay. But I will tell you that unless we are following the real Jesus, unless we are arranging our lives according to the real Jesus, then we have missed the real Jesus and we're walking in a shadow. There is no telling, and I'm not a judge to know this, but there is no telling how many people who think they're Christians may not really be Christians, but they have opted for something that is a shadow of the real thing. Let me give you an example. There are a lot of people today who claim to be Christians. They can tell you, uh, well, there was a certain time in my life when I, I was saved. I asked Jesus to save me, and I got saved. I, I, I received Jesus into my heart. I got my fire insurance. That's what they look at it as, fire insurance. But since they got saved, they have rarely ever lived according to the way of Jesus. You see, Jesus, receiving Jesus, the, the true Salvation that Jesus brings is not a ticket to heaven in and of itself. It is not fire insurance in and of itself. When you receive Jesus, you are entering into a way of life that impacts you from the moment you receive Jesus until the day you die and go right on up into heaven. It is a way of life that is unending. And so if you find someone, or if you are someone, who says, well, I invited Jesus into my heart whenever I was nine years old, or seven years old, or six years old, or twelve years old, whenever it was. But there is no evidence, has been no evidence since that time of anything in your life that even remotely is similar to Jesus. I'm not going to say that that, per- that kind of person is not saved, but what I am going to say is that that whoever we are, if that fits us, if that description is you or me, then we need to stop and really rethink whether or not we have the real Jesus or a shadow of the real Jesus. Boy, how tragic it would be 
to die and stand before God and God say, you know what? I never knew you. And you say, wait a minute. I, I, you saved me back when I was eight on a Tuesday night at Revival. I'm sorry, I don't remember you. But I thought I had the real thing. I'm sorry, I didn't. That'd be tragic. Do you think that will happen to anybody? Do you think there will be anybody at the end of life or the end of time who will stand before God thinking they had the real thing when they only had a shadow? Do you think that will, that will happen with anybody? You better believe it. Just make sure that that's not going to happen to you. The second thing I want you to notice is this. I want you to think about the real purpose of a shadow. Because this is the real purpose of everything in the Old Testament. The real purpose of the shadow is to draw attention to the real thing. It, it, the, the shadow is there and the shadow is screaming out saying, Look, I am here because the real thing is there. The shadow points to the real thing. When you look through the Old Testament, if you study the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, throughout the Old Covenant, what you're dealing with are shadows and copies of things that are pointing toward the real thing, and the real thing is Jesus. Jesus even recognized this in John chapter 5, verse 39. He says this to the uh, religious leaders. He says, you search the Scriptures... Because you think that in them you have eternal life. And yet it is these same scriptures that bear witness of me. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Matthew 5 verse 17. Jesus says, don't think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to to fulfill them. To fill them to the fullest. I came because they were pointing toward me. In Luke chapter 24. After the resurrection of Jesus, you remember the story where he's, he's on the road to Emmaus. There are two disciples, two unnamed disciples, and Jesus appears with them, and they're distraught over the crucifixion of Jesus. And they start talking with Jesus. They don't realize who he is, and he says to them, beginning with verse 25 of Luke chapter 24, it says, he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then, get this, verse 27. And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now what that says is that the Old Testament is pointing toward Jesus in the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament, from the temple, to the sacrifices, to the priest, to the Holy of Holies, to the altar that's in the Holy of Holies, everything, the law, the prophets, everything, all of it is pointing toward Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of of the person, the one who was to come. The writer of Hebrews here says that the point of the law, the real point of the law was to remind people that they were sinners in need of a Savior. There was nothing spiritual or supernatural about the blood of the animals in the sacrifices. The bloody, gory, disgusting mess of these sacrifices was supposed to be reminding people of the goriness of their sinfulness. See, the Old Testament never washed away their sins. They kept having to come back. And every time they came back, it was just a further reminder of the fact 
that they were sinful. The trouble is, the folks who were supposed to be reminded of their sin got to the point where they were no longer reminded of it. They got used to the gore. They became immune to the gore. Instead of being brokenhearted over their sins and the constant death that they saw in these animals every year at the sacrifices, they became jaded. It was like it didn't bother them anymore. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. God says to the people of Israel, he says, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? What to me is the abundance of your sacrifices? Now, God had commanded them to to perform sacrifices, but, but they had done it so much that it had become meaningless to them. You see, worship can become meaningless to us. Doing church, doing the Christian life can become meaningless to us if we're not careful. Isaiah quotes God as saying, I've had enough of your burnt offerings and the fat of your cattle. I do not have any pleasure, nor do I take pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Stop living in the shadow. Malachi in chapter 1 verse 10 of Malachi says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. They were living in the shadow. The purpose of the shadow is to make us realize we're in darkness, and the major purpose of the shadow is to point toward not the shadow, but the real thing, Jesus. And so that leaves me with the third thing to say to you, and that is that it is absolute nonsense to continue living in the era of the shadow. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 13. The writer says that Jesus came to do the Father's will, to accomplish a perfect sacrifice, to bring us into a one-on-one relationship with God. And he accomplished this with one single try. Once for all, the Levitical priests had to do it year after year. Their job never ended. They never sat down. But the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus offered his one sacrifice once for all, and then he rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father, and because he was done, his job was done, he says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The the priests could never sit down. They were never through. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying this. He's saying, come on, guys. Since Jesus has paid the price, why do you want to go back and sacrifice more animals? Why do you want to go back and be nailed to the confines of the law? Since Jesus paid the price, why do you want to practice religion when you can have a relationship with God? That's a great question, isn't it? Are you practicing religion or are we really in a relationship with God? What is true about the Old Testament religion is also true about any form of religion outside of Christ. But you know, I have to get a a little more personal than that, don't I? Because I know 
I think I know that there's not a person in here who's tempted to leave Christianity for Islam. Especially now. And I doubt there are many people in this congregation who are thinking about abandoning Christianity for Confucianism. Most of us don't know what Confucianism is or Buddhism or Hinduism. A few people might like some of the ethics of Mormonism, but I don't think anybody in this congregation is thinking about leaving Christianity for Mormonism. What you and I are usually tempted to do is to accept a form of Christianity or to opt for a form of Christianity that we're convinced is the real Christianity, but it's really not. But we're so sold on that substitute. And we just love staying in the shade. We love living in the shadow. Why settle for a shadow when you can have the real thing? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's invitation time. It's the time in a service when more often than at any other time, you do your best work because you change lives. It's that time of the service when people who've never invited you to be their Savior come and make the decision to receive you as their Savior and Lord. It's that time in the service when people who have made a profession of faith in Christ come to join for baptism or they come to move their membership to this local church. It's that time in a service when a Christian who's been searching for direction finds clarity in your call on his or her life and they come and make that call public. It's that time in a service when people with grave concerns once again lay their hearts before you at the altar. It's that place in a service where people whose hearts are full of praise Let those praises overflow into the altar. So God, I pray now, right now, in this invitation, that you would change somebody's life. That's my prayer. I'm believing you're going to do it. Help us to let you do it. In Jesus' name, amen.